So I asked my 12-year-old what I should do this episode on, and without hesitation, she replied, platypuses. Hmm, not a bad idea. Kind of a strange animal, and since they live in Australia, one that most of us are probably never going to encounter in the wild, or even see in a zoo for that matter, because there's only a couple of zoos that have them. So I thought, what other strange Australian animals could I combine into this episode? Well, I recently learned some interesting things about wombats, which also live in Australia. And then, as I started to research, I found a third animal that completely fits with this theme, the Tasmanian Devil. So after you listen to this episode, when conversation lags at Thanksgiving dinner in a few weeks, you'll be armed with some fun facts about some unusual Australian animals that you can use to impress your friends and family with. And only a few of them are about feces. You're welcome. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. So let's launch right in with wombats. Wombats are short and muscular, standing a little less than two feet tall, a little over three feet long, and weighing somewhere between 45 and 75 pounds. For a size comparison to an animal you might be familiar with, it's about the size of a beaver, but with a short stubby tail. They also have rodent-like teeth like a groundhog or a beaver, so kind of like a groundhog on steroids. And I gotta say, they are pretty adorable. They have a short snout, small dark eyes, and small pointy ears. They're actually related to koalas and look somewhat similar, or like something you'd create at Build-A-Bear Workshop. Wombats are primarily nocturnal or crepuscular. They're very adaptable and live in a variety of habitats. They're found in forested, mountainous, and shrubland areas in southern and eastern Australia. They're herbivores, primarily eating grasses, sedges, herbs, bark, roots, and fungi. Their rodent-like teeth help them gnaw through tough vegetation. Now, they have a very slow metabolism, so it takes between 8 and 14 days to complete digestion. This slow metabolism is thought to be an adaptation to help them survive in arid environments. It also probably contributes to their longevity. Wombats can live 15 years in the wild, and nearly twice that in captivity. Like groundhogs, they're burrowers, creating extensive burrow systems, up to 100 feet long, with numerous side chambers, using their large, powerful claws. Wombats are also territorial, and will defend a territory of up to 57 acres centered around their burrow. Although, that said, a group of wombats is known as either a colony, a mob, or a wisdom. Now, one of the fun facts you may already know about wombats is that they make cube-shaped poop. And if you didn't already know that, now you do. Just exactly how they make cube-shaped poop is not well understood, but it doesn't change the fact that they do it. They also make a lot of these poop cubes, 80 to 100 one-inch poop cubes per night. The cube shape is actually very important. Wombats stack poop cubes to mark their territories and to attract potential mates. Hey, whatever works, I guess. The cube shape helps make them more stackable and keeps them from rolling off uneven surfaces like rocks and logs. It's kind of like Minecraft for wombats. Predators of wombats include dingoes and Tasmanian devils, which I'll talk about later. And yes, those are also real and don't just exist in Bugs Bunny cartoons. 
Wombats are usually slow, but when threatened, they can actually move pretty fast, reaching speeds of 25 miles an hour and maintaining that for about 90 seconds. Their primary defense, however, is that they have a tough butt. The wombat's behind is made up of bony plates with a lot of cartilage and not very many nerve endings. When attacked, a wombat will dive into a tunnel using its rump to block the pursuer. Its tough posterior, combined with its lack of a tail, makes it difficult for a predator to bite the wombat. Now, this might seem like a bit of an impasse, but the wombat has a couple other tricks up its sleeve. First, the wombat may perform a donkey kick, kicking its attacker with both rear feet. But, and this may be my favorite animal defense ever, the wombat might leave just enough space above its back to lure a predator into trying to force its head over the wombat's back. Then the wombat will use its powerful legs to drive upwards, slamming its foe's head against the roof of the tunnel and crushing its skull. Nice move, wombat. Now, wombats are marsupials, so like a kangaroo or an opossum. But unlike other marsupials, a wombat's pouch faces backwards. This is an adaptation to their burrowing lifestyle. Having a backwards-facing pouch helps prevent it from filling with dirt when they dig. I mean, it's all fun and games until you fill your pouch and cover your baby with dirt. Like most marsupials, babies are born at a very early stage of gestation. In wombats, usually a single baby, called a joey, is born at 20 to 30 days gestation. It makes its way into the pouch and latches onto a nipple. It will remain in the pouch for another six to seven months, after which time it may leave the pouch but return to nurse. Wombat joeys are weaned at 15 months and reach sexual maturity at 18 months. Okay, one last fun fact about wombats. It was recently discovered that they glow under UV light. This is actually true of many nocturnal marsupials, including North America's very own Virginia possum, and incidentally, the next animal I'm going to tell you about, the platypus. Biologists aren't exactly sure why, but their best guess is that it helps these animals recognize members of their own species in the dark. Now, platypuses glowing under UV light may be the least strange thing about them. The platypus has a bill like a duck, a tail kind of like a beaver's except furry and not quite as wide, feet like an otter's, it lays eggs like those of a reptile or a turtle, and, just to make it a little weirder, they use something called electrolocation to find prey, and adult males have a spur on their back foot that's venomous. Sounds like the product of a child's imagination. And in fact, when they were first encountered by Europeans in 1798, a sketch and a pelt were sent back to Britain. Scientists in Britain thought it was a hoax created by sewing a duck's beak onto the body of a beaver-like animal. They even went so far as to cut into the pelt looking for stitches. Platypuses are one of five species of monotremes, mammals that lay eggs. The other four species are spiny anteaters. While platypuses resemble beavers to a certain degree, they are much smaller. Generally, platypuses are between one and a half and two feet long and weigh between two and five pounds, making them much more muskrat-sized. The body and the broad, flat tail of the platypus are covered in dense, brown, waterproof fur that traps a layer of insulating air to help the platypus keep warm. Among other things, the tail is used to store fat, and the webbing on the feet is more significant on the front feet and folds back when walking on land. Platypuses don't have external ears, an adaptation to their semi-aquatic lifestyle. 
Much like our beavers or muskrats here in North America, which are also semi-aquatic, platypuses are found in or near rivers, which gives them both a supply of prey and banks where they can dig burrows for resting and breeding. A male's home range can be up to four and a half miles and overlap several females' territories. Platypuses are generally crepuscular or nocturnal, and of course, given their semi-aquatic lifestyle, they are excellent swimmers. They have a very distinct swimming style that's unique among mammals. They swim with an alternate rowing motion of their front feet. Even though all four feet are webbed, the hind feet are held against the body and not used to assist in swimming. They are used for steering in combination with the tail. Now, despite their excellent swimming prowess, platypuses can't remain submerged for very long. Dives last only about 30 seconds, followed by 10 to 20 seconds of resting on the surface. When not in the water, the platypus retires to a short, straight resting burrow in the riverbank, not far above the water level, and often hidden under a protective tangle of roots. Now, contrary to how it looks, the bill of the platypus is not, in fact, hard like a duck's bill. Instead, the platypus bill is covered by smooth skin and has a soft, almost suede-like texture. It's actually quite pliable and fleshy around the edges. But like a duck, an adult platypus does not have teeth. Instead, they have flat pads of hardened gum tissue, which they use to grind food. Young are actually born with six teeth, but they lose them around the time they leave their birth burrow. But the platypus's bill is more than just a mouth. It actually performs several functions. The platypus is a carnivore. It feeds on worms, insect larvae, freshwater shrimp, and crayfish that it digs out of the riverbed with its snout or catches while swimming. It hunts using electrolocation, an ability that in mammals is only found in the five species of monotremes and one species of dolphin. But what is electrolocation, you ask? Well, the platypus has around 40,000 electroreceptors in rows on the skin of its bill, which are able to detect the electric field generated by muscle contractions of the platypus's prey. Of all the monotremes, the platypus has the most sensitive electroreception. The bill of the platypus also has mechanoreceptors that detect either touch or pressure. When hunting, the platypus moves its head from side to side. The platypus closes its eyes, ears, and nose when it dives and hunts using just the receptors on its bill. It digs into the bottom of streams with its bill, and the electroreceptors detect tiny electric currents generated by muscular contractions of its prey. It can determine the direction of an electrical source by comparing the difference in signal strength across the sheet of electroreceptors. When the prey moves, it creates both electrical and mechanical pressure pulses. The platypus uses the difference in arrival time between the two types of signals to determine the distance to the prey. This ability probably evolved in order to allow them to forage in murky waters. Once the prey is caught, the platypus uses cheek pouches to carry it to the surface to eat. A platypus eats about 20% of its own weight each day, which ultimately means that it spends about 12 hours a day on average looking for food. Kind of reminds me of my children. Outside the mating season, the platypus lives in a simple ground burrow with an entrance that's located about a foot above the water level. After mating, the female builds a deeper, more elaborate burrow up to 65 feet long, blocked at intervals with dirt plugs. These plugs protect the den from high water or predators and may also serve to regulate the humidity level and temperature in the burrow. 
The female softens the ground in the burrow with dead, folded, wet leaves and fills the nest at the end of the tunnel with fallen leaves and reeds for bedding. This material is dragged into the nest by tucking it underneath her curled tail. Interestingly, the female platypus has a pair of ovaries, but only the left one is functional. One of the things that makes monotremes unusual among mammals is that they lay eggs like reptiles. If you listen to episode 27 on snakes, you might remember that this is called oviparity. Platypuses usually lay two eggs per year. The eggs develop in utero for about 28 days, then have another 10 days of external incubation after they're laid. Contrast that to a chicken egg, which spends only one day in the chicken and 28 days under the chicken. Platypus eggs are small and leathery, like those of turtles, snakes, or other reptiles. There's no official term for platypus young, but the term platypup and puggle are both used unofficially. And if you want to see something cute, Google pictures of platypus puggles, and I'll call them puggles because it's freaking adorable. Newly hatched puggles are blind and hairless, and like all mammals, they're fed with their mother's milk. But while female platypuses have mammary glands, they don't have teats. Instead, the milk is released through pores in her skin and pools in grooves on her abdomen where the puggles can lap it up. The puggles are fed this way for three to four months. During incubation and weaning, the mother leaves the burrow to forage for only short periods of time. When she leaves, she creates a number of thin soil plugs along the length of the burrow, possibly to protect the young from predators. But pushing past these on her way back also forces water from her fur and keeps the burrow dry. After about five weeks, the mother begins to spend more time away, and at around four months, the puggles emerge from the burrow. Platypuses can live over 20 years in the wild. Now, if all that electrolocation and egg-laying weren't strange enough, the platypus has one other feature that makes them unique. Platypuses are one of the few venomous mammals. Adult male platypuses have an ankle spur that's connected to a venom gland over the thigh. The venom is wielded as a defense and is potent enough to kill smaller animals like dogs. In people, it causes swelling and excruciating pain. So the last animal I want to tell you about is the Tasmanian devil, and no, they don't spin around really fast. As their name suggests, they live on the Australian island state of Tasmania, although recently they have been reintroduced into parts of mainland Australia. Like the other animals I talked about today, they are both primarily nocturnal and a non-placental mammal. They are, in fact, a marsupial like the wombat, but unlike the wombat, Tasmanian devils are carnivores. Tasmanian devils are about the size of a smallish dog. They're short and squat, averaging two and a half to three feet long, about half of which is their tail, and weighing between 13 and 18 pounds. This makes them the largest carnivorous marsupial in the world. Their tail serves several important functions. It acts as a counterbalance for stabilization when the devil is moving quickly. A scent gland at the base of the tail is used to mark the ground behind the animal with a strong, pungent scent. And also, like the platypus, the Tasmanian devil's tail is used to store fat. The Tasmanian devil's forelegs are slightly longer than the hind legs, another unusual trait for a marsupial. Devils have five long toes on their forefeet, four pointing forward, and one, like a thumb, coming out from the side, which lets them hold food. The back feet have four toes, and their claws are non-retractable. These claws let it dig burrows and hunt subterranean food easily, and also get a strong grip on prey or mates. 
They have a large neck and forebody that give them their strength, but also cause this strength to be biased toward the front half of the body, giving the devil a distinctive, lopsided, awkward, shuffling gait. Tasmanian devils are generally black, with irregular white patches on the chest and rump, although about 16% are all black. Interestingly, studies have shown that fighting between devils often leads to a concentration of scars in these white areas, so it's thought that these patches serve to draw biting attacks towards less vital areas of the body. Considering that the Tasmanian devil has the most powerful bite relative to body size of any living mammalian carnivore, this is probably important. It has a relatively large head and can open its jaws 75 to 80 degrees, which allows it to generate a lot of power to tear meat or crush bone. In the ecosystem of Tasmania, the devil is a keystone species. It's an opportunistic hunter and can take down prey the size of a small kangaroo, but they actually prefer carrion over live prey, since they're not known for their speed. Although, on a side note, there are reports that they can run at 16 miles an hour for about a mile, or around 6 miles an hour for extended periods several nights per week, running a long distance and then sitting still for about half an hour, behavior that's been interpreted as evidence of them being ambush predators. But when it comes to scavenging, Tasmanian devils are extremely efficient. They can eliminate all traces of the carcass of a smaller animal, devouring even the bones and the fur. Their other favorite prey is wombats, because they're high in fat and relatively easy to catch. Although I didn't see it written anywhere, I can only assume that the devil's large, powerful head makes it more resistant to the wombat's butt-slam maneuver. On average, devils eat about 15% of their body weight each day and can eat up to 40% of their body weight in 30 minutes if the opportunity arises. While there have been unsubstantiated claims of cooperative hunting, where one devil drives the prey out of hiding and another attacks, devils generally hunt alone. Eating, however, is a social event, and a raucous one too. Groups average two to five animals, but as many as 12 will gather at times. The noise they make can be heard nearly two miles away. Here's an example of what they sound like. The bigger the carcass, the louder the noise, so it's assumed that all the racket is basically an announcement to come share the meal so that the food doesn't go to waste. The combination of solitary hunter plus communal dining is unique among carnivores. But even within this communal system, the devils eat in accordance with a dominance hierarchy. A study of feeding devils identified 20 physical postures, including their characteristic vicious yawn, and 11 different vocal sounds that devils use to communicate as they feed. Dominance is established by sound, scent, and physical posturing, and, on occasion, a whole lot of biting. Juveniles are most active at dusk, so they tend to reach the food source first, but typically the dominant animal eats first, fighting off any challengers in the meantime. Although again, disputes are less common if the meal is larger. Defeated animals run into the bush with their hair and tail erect, their conqueror chasing and biting the vanquished devil's butt. 
When quolls, which are another carnivorous marsupial about the size of a cat native to Tasmania, are eating a carcass, devils will often chase them away and claim the carcass as their own. This can be a substantial problem for some quolls, since they may kill something relatively large and don't have time to finish their meal before the devils show up. It takes only a few hours for Tasmanian devils to digest, and pooping is also communal. Like raccoons, devils establish latrines, defecating in a communal location. This is thought to be another form of communication, but it's not well understood. All Tasmanian devils in a specific area are part of a single social network. In general, they're not territorial, but females are territorial right around their dens. Instead, they occupy home ranges that average about 3,200 acres. Devils use three or four dens regularly, changing dens every few days unless they have young pups, and traveling an average of just over five miles every night. Wombat dens are especially prized as maternity dens because of their security. Dense vegetation near creeks, thick grass, and caves are also used as dens. Adult devils will use the same dens for life. A secure den is highly prized, and it's believed that some dens may have been used for several centuries by generations of Tasmanian devils. Females average just four breeding seasons in their lifetime. Again, being a marsupial, the young are born at a very early stage, after just 21 days gestation. You might recall from previous episodes that the Virginia possum, North America's only marsupial, gives birth to about 20 babies, but only has 13 nipples in their pouches. Tasmanian devils give birth to between 20 and 30 young, called pups, joeys, or my favorite, imps, but they only have four nipples in their pouch. Like the wombat, the Tasmanian devil's pouch faces backwards. The imps will remain in the pouch for 105 days, then spend another three months in the den, continuing to nurse before becoming independent. During this time, they may also accompany their mother hunting, riding on her back, just like our own Virginia possums. Average lifespan of a Tasmanian devil in the wild is around five years, but up to 60% of young don't survive to maturity. Wombats, platypuses, and Tasmanian devils are all threatened by habitat loss, but Tasmanian devils face an additional threat, devil facial tumor disease, or DFTD. DFTD is a form of contagious cancer, meaning it can be passed from animal to animal, and it's ravaged devil populations up to 80% by some estimates. DFTD causes tumors to form in and around the mouth, interfering with feeding and eventually causing death by starvation. Dominant devils who engage in more biting are at higher risk. Efforts to control the disease include trapping and removing infected animals and a promising vaccination approach where cancer cells are injected into an infected animal to stimulate their immune system to recognize and fight the disease. In 2006, Warner Brothers allowed the government of Tasmania to sell stuffed toys of the beloved Looney Tunes character Taz to help fund research on DFTD. Okay, a couple of final fun facts about Tasmanian devils before we wrap this up. Even though they're nocturnal, Tasmanian devils like to rest in the sun. They can also swim and have been observed crossing rivers that are up to 160 feet wide, including icy cold waterways, apparently enthusiastically. And on that note, my friends, we'll bring this down under episode of Dispatches from the Forest to a close. 
Thank you as always for listening. Please leave a like and subscribe. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to help support future episodes, consider becoming a patron. You do that by going to patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. You can also follow Dispatches from the Forest on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes can be emailed to me at dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.